Good morning. Happy Easter. It's great to be here with you this morning. Uh, my name is Bryce Hales. I'm the pastor here at Resurrection OC. And uh, whether you're a regular here or you're joining us um, to celebrate Easter, it's really, it's really exciting to have you with us this morning. Thanks so much for being here. Um, if you've got a Bible with you, you might want to turn to Luke chapter 24. I'm going to read uh, that passage in just a moment. Well, last Friday night, um, two, three days ago, I took one of my boys to, uh, up to L.A. for the Dodger game for his birthday. And um, I, we knew it was going to be, traffic was going to be a nightmare, right? And so we left right after school, and uh, it took us two hours in the car to get there, and we were listening to the radio the whole way, and uh, singing along, and um, just having a good time with my son. And after about 90 minutes in the car, listening to the radio, singing our lungs out, my son says to me, Dad, how is it possible that you know every song in the world? <laughs> I said, what do you mean? He said, Dad, you've sung every single song that has come on the radio. And, um, you know, so I explained to him how um, he's lucky to have the most amazing father in the world. <laughs> and um, a few minutes after that, you know, we kind of the moment passes, it goes on. A uh, song comes on uh, that for me just kind of is like this nostalgic uh, County Crows song around here. I mean, it just takes me back to high school, reminds me of the best day of surfing I ever had in my life. Um, whoa. And um, I'm going to trip over that. Uh, and so th we've been singing, and, but, but like County Crows, I'm taking it to new heights. I mean, I am, I am laying it all out there. Um, I know every word. I know every inflection. I'm letting it all hang out. And, uh, and the song ends, and my son says, Dad, what does that song mean? I have no idea. It's <laughs> like, Dad, it must mean something. Like, you, you were like... You were into it, right? I know every single word of that song. I have no idea what it means. And it occurs to me this morning because I think that maybe that's a little bit what Easter feels like to many of us. We know all of the words, but we don't really know what it actually means. Uh, it's clearly a big deal. This morning, maybe three billion people are gathering in churches to celebrate Easter. One third of the planet. It's obviously a big deal. But do we even know what it means? Does it maybe just um, bring back this kind of nostalgic uh, memory from our childhood? Um, is it the sort of thing where we know all the words, but we don't know what it actually means? Amid the celebration today, Amidst brunch plans and Easter egg hunts, are we just going through the motions? Are we just saying the words because um, they remind us of something, even if we can't quite remember what? You know, this week, uh, many of you saw this in the news. There was this huge scandal because Facebook did something 
with all of our personal information. I can't even remember exactly what it was. I'd actually tried to look it up last night and I could not understand what happened. But I noticed a friend of mine, um, you know, and everybody's ah, all upset about it. And a friend of mine posted on Facebook, ironically, and said, hey, here's the thing, guys. Every single one of us has accepted the terms and conditions where they told us this is exactly what they're going to do with our data when we signed up. But that's what our lives are like, right? Where we, you download an app and you think, I, just, I don't care. What, hit accept. Let me get the good stuff. And is Easter maybe not a little bit like that? Accepting the terms and conditions. Let me, let me get to the good stuff without really taking the time to understand what it means. This morning, what I want to do is try to explain what Easter means. I'm not going to take the time to um, sort of demonstrate that Jesus actually rose from the dead physically. I can do that, I think. I have done that. If you come back next year, maybe I'll do that next year. Um, I haven't quite decided what I'm going to do for Easter next year. But today what I want to do is... um, I want to explain not just what the words are, but what they mean. Because I think many of us are living our lives uh, like the Easter doesn't, or like the resurrection doesn't really matter. Or maybe if it does, it's, it's just a bonus. And I say this because I live like that most days. Most days I live like the resurrection, I'm, I'm glad it happened. It's a, it's a great bonus, right? But does it really matter? Um, this week I got an email from um, someone who said, uh, would you pray for my friend's mom? She's in a coma. And nobody really knows what's wrong. And I emailed back, of course, of course I'll pray. I mean, I'm a pastor, what am I going to say, right? <laughs> but like in my head, I'm like, does this even matter? And I was shocked two days later to get another email back that says she's awake. Yeah, I prayed, but do I really think that God is a God who answers prayer? I'm amazed at how good God is. I'm amazed that I can live my life um, believing, sure, the Bible is true, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, but does the resurrection really matter? And yet God is still good and he is still at work. And so maybe you're like me. Maybe you know all the words Maybe you believe, hey, sure, that'd be great if the resurrection's really true, but what difference does it make? I know of a uh, guy who um, was a pastor of a church in Greenwich Village in New York in the 90s, and uh, one Easter Sunday, he, uh, he, he preached a sermon, he laid out what he thought was this airtight case, Jesus really rose from the dead. And he said after the service, somebody came up to him and said, okay, so Jesus really rose, so blanking what well that's what I want to explain to you this morning so if you would stand with me let's read these words from Luke chapter 24 starting in verse 13 you can follow along with me or simply listen as I read this happens on the morning of the resurrection that very day two of them two of the disciples were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. 
While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. And then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? In beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. He was at table with them, When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? God, would you meet with us this morning? As we gather in this place, In the name of Jesus, would you be with us by the power of your Holy Spirit? Help us to see the risen Jesus and meet him ourselves. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, please. So we know the words, but what do they actually mean? This morning, what I want you to hear is this. Because Jesus is risen we can live with hope. Because Jesus is risen, we can live with hope. I saw a video this week, um, a video of a researcher. I think he was an archaeologist, and he was talking about, um, or an anthropologist, rather, who was talking about um, uh, what was happening when they started bringing up artifacts from the remains of the Titanic. You know, the Titanic sank, and for decades has been sitting there on the bottom of the ocean. And, um, and he was talking about them recovering these artifacts and bringing them in and studying them in the lab. And, and this researcher says, 
Uh, you know, these items have been, have been wet and they've been rusting uh, for decades. And he says they, they, there's a particularly um, heinous kind of smell from something that comes off of the Titanic. He says it fills the room with a kind of alien stink. It smells like the smell of death. And then he said one day they brought up uh, these, these leather satchels. And in them there were these vials of perfume. And they opened the vial of perfume and the researcher begins to weep. And he says, the smell of the perfume begins to fill the air. And it's sweet and it's the smell of, of flowers and fruit. And he says, and just for, as the, as, the, as the smell filled the room, it was as if the aroma of heaven was pushing back the stench of death. And just for a moment, it was like the ship was alive again. That is what the resurrection is all about. The aroma of heaven pushing back the stench of death and decay. Because he is risen, you can live with hope. Did you notice in the passage that we read, it describes the reaction of some of the first followers of Jesus Uh, The beginning of the service, I read the first part of that chapter where it talks about Mary Magdalene and Joanna and this other woman named Mary who went to the tomb. The first witnesses of the resurrection was this group of women. And they don't know what to make of the empty tomb. And they go back and they tell the apostles that they found the tomb and it's empty. And uh, it says in Luke 24 that the apostles... They've spent three years following Jesus around. And Jesus has told them in increasingly clear language, I'm going up to Jerusalem. They're going to kill me. And three days later, I will rise again. He said this the week before. And then these women go to the tomb on the third day and they find that it's empty. And they come back and they tell them. And it says the apostles believed that it was an idle tale. And they didn't believe them. And then Peter gets up and says, I've got to see this for myself. And Peter and James, they run to the tomb. And they are incredulous. And then we read about these two other disciples, and they're running away. They're going to this village called Emmaus that's seven miles away from Jerusalem. And in their minds, hope has died. Jesus, is, Jesus was not the first Jewish man in the first century to show up and claim to be the Messiah. And to meet his end on a Roman cross. This happened all the time. And they knew what this meant. If you're dead, you're not the Messiah. And so they're going home. They've wasted their time. They've wasted their lives. You can hear the hurt and disappointment in their voices. When they say, we had hoped. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem us. On the first Easter, the resurrected Jesus does not appear to people who are waiting patiently for him. He doesn't appear to people who are waiting eagerly for the resurrection to take place. He appears to people who witnessed the resurrection and responded with confusion, with anger, with fear, with cynicism, maybe just with boredom. Okay, whatever, I'm just going to go home. (laughs) What about you? This week I got a message out of the blue from a friend that I haven't heard from in four years. He lived down the street from me when I lived in a different state. And um, 
he messaged me on Facebook. He said, uh, I need your support now. My life is unraveling. So my wife asked me to move out. I'm afraid that my past is catching up with me and it's hurting my kids. He said, I've been depressed for three months. And we began to talk and he, <laughs> he's not a Christian. And he said, he actually, in the course of this conversation, he said to me, you know, Bryce, the reason I was reluctant to become close friends with you is because I know you're a Christian. And I just don't want any of that Jesus stuff, but I need your support as my life was unraveling. And I said, what can I do to help? He said, I just need someone who will listen and tell me that I'm worth it. I said, okay. And we continued to talk, and uh, eventually as we talked, I told him, you know, I really only have two uh, tricks in my bag. Either, number one, I can tell you about Jesus, or number two is I can just tell, say back to you what you say to me. And I know you don't want to hear about Jesus, but tell me, I can offer you hope, or I can just tell you what you're telling me. And he said, just tell me that I'm good enough. And I said, is it working? He said, no, not really. Now, most of us are not, at this moment, going through something that dark in our lives. But the reason I tell you that story is that each of us will come to a point in our lives where we realize the problem is not that there's no one who will tell us that we're worth it, that we are loved, but that in those moments, we will struggle to believe it ourselves. Because the reality is that we cannot be the source of our own happiness or joy or light or hope. And our culture is full of people who are trying to tell you what you really need to do is accept yourself. You've just got to believe in yourself, right? And yet eventually all of us will come to a point in life where everybody will say you just have to accept yourself. And you will know that you can't. <laughs> that that's the problem. The problem is not that no one loves us. The problem is that we can't find a way to hear the words knowing who we really are. And so we need hope in this world because we cannot be the source of our own happiness or joy or hope or light. It's like trying to plug a light into itself and expecting it to light up. And that's why we need hope. Some of us are just going through the normal stuff of life, trying to keep on top of everything, work and kids and, you know, getting some time to ourselves and keeping the house reasonably clean. It's not that things are bad, but life is challenging. And I meet people all the time who don't say this literally, but it feels like everybody I meet in Orange County believes that they are six months away from being truly happy. And you've been six months away from being truly happy all of your life. And yet somehow we think that this next thing that's six months down the road from right now, you know, in October, right? If everybody in this room is actually happy on October 1st, let me know. <laughs> but we're always six months away from happiness. 
somebody sent me an article this week about the housing crisis in Southern California. I didn't know there was a housing crisis until I read this article, and now it's like, wow. Okay, And nothing sums this up better than this one statistic that shows why life is so wonderful and impossible if we live in Orange County. Listen to this. A median-priced home in California costs $561,000. A household would need to earn $115,000 a year to reasonably afford a home at that price. And yet two-thirds of Californians earn less than $80,000 a year. Now, whatever side of all of those numbers you find yourself on is sort of irrelevant because the bottom line is it means a lot of us are making a lot of money and it's not quite enough. Well, that's what it means for all of us, whoever you are there. <laughs> like, there's really rich people in this room feeling like the water's about right here and it's rising. The cost of living is so stinking high that it feels like um, we're barely holding on. And we live in a broken world where even the smartest and most successful and attractive eventually face death and their bodies fall apart. And though life is wonderful, it's also hard. And there are things that we've done that we don't want to repeat and there are things that have been done to us that still haunt us. Life in a broken world is oftentimes frustrating and confusing and dark. And in the moments where you are acutely aware of that reality in your life, you will realize that you cannot be the source of your own light. That's why we need hope. But the good news of the resurrection, okay, are you ready for it? The good news of the resurrection is that you can live with hope because Jesus is not dead. Because Jesus is risen, the aroma of heaven is pushing back the stench of death and decay. You cannot be the source of your own happiness or joy or light or whatever word you want to use. But Jesus is God. Jesus is the source of joy. He is the author of life. He is the embodiment of hope. And so when he died on Good Friday, when he went to the tomb, the grave could no more contain the author of life than a single light bulb could contain the output of an entire nuclear facility. And so Jesus goes to death and explodes it from the inside. The grave could not contain him. Listen to this. It's one thing to borrow, uh, like, tools from a friend. I lend tools to people all the time. I borrow tools all the time. It's, a, it's one thing to borrow, like, a car from somebody. Maybe you might have a really good friend who would let you borrow their vacation home. It's a very different thing to borrow somebody's tomb because you only need it for the weekends. <laughs> That's the resurrection. Jesus was buried in a borrowed tomb. He is risen. Not a, it's not a metaphor. It's not a myth. He woke up from death. He climbed out of the grave. He rolled the stone. Somebody rolled the stone away, and he walked away. 
Because he has risen, it means that death and decay are not the final word. Because he has risen, it means we can live with hope in a broken and fallen world. Now, what does that look like? What would it look like to live with hope? Well, you know, uh, the way that we use the word hope, there's sort of uh, two different ways that we can use the word hope. Uh, If you use the word hope as a verb, it's kind of like a synonym of wishing. It's like next week is um, spring break for many of us, and I'm really hoping that my children will sleep in. (laughs) Right? Like, I know it's not going to happen, but I really hope it's going to happen. And it's like somehow if I just wish it hard enough, it will somehow connect to reality, but usually we know that it doesn't. It's just a wish. But hope as a noun is something completely different. Hope as a noun looks like this. Help me, Obi-Wan. You're my only hope, right? And hope as a noun means that the strength of your hope is not terribly relevant because hope relies on the object of your hope. Does that make sense? It's not how strong is your hope, it's how strong is the thing that you hope in. If we put our hope in this life, in the things that we do, in the successes of our work and our kids, we will be despondent when anything threatens that hope. When things are good, it'll never be that good because we know it can all go away. And when things are bad, then we're just, we're crushed, we can't handle it. But if you put your hope in Christ, you are putting your hope in something, someone that is impenetrable because he has already died. The worst thing that could ever happen to him has already happened, and he exploded death and got out of a borrowed tomb and gave it back to its original owner. He is risen, and your hope is secure. You know, there's a study done a few years ago on milkshakes, and um, this researcher, um, she created a huge batch of milkshakes, and she separated the uh, participants in the survey into two groups. One group of people, she gave milkshakes labeled Sensa Shake. Fat-free, guilt-free, sugar-free, only 104 calories. The other group got milkshakes labeled Indulge. Decadence you deserve, 620 calories. Both groups received the same 300-calorie milkshake. Now, the interesting thing is that your body apparently produces a hormone called ghrelin or something like that. It's on NPR, so just go with me. (laughs) And when we're hungry, our body produces this hormone that tells our brains to seek food. And when we've eaten, the hormone level subsides to say, stop eating food. And the interesting thing uh, that happened is these two groups drank their milkshakes, researchers monitored the levels of this hormone, and what happened was this. The people who drank the milkshake labeled indulge, they didn't just like feel like they were getting full, but their bodies actually acted like they were getting full, where the people who were drinking the same exact milkshake, but thought it was like a nutrition shake, their bodies told them that they were still hungry. Okay, and the point is this. Your beliefs have a physical effect on your reality. What you believe is true 
affects the reality that you will actually experience. And so if your belief is that at the end of the day, death is inevitable. My body will eventually fall apart. That is going to affect the way that you live. There was a man who, um, in Auschwitz, during World War II, and he had a dream that the war would end on March 30th. And the hope sustained him through the brutal winter. And yet, as March 30th approached, and it became more and more obvious that the war was not going to end, he got sicker and sicker and sicker, and he died the first week of April. When his hope failed him, his body gave in. And if you believe that death has the final word, it will affect the way that you live. But if you know not just the words, but what they mean, if you know that Jesus has conquered sin and death, you will live with hope when things are good, and you will live with hope when things aren't really so good. (laughs) Every one of the followers of Jesus that we saw in this passage had their lives utterly transformed, not because they saw an empty tomb, They were confused, they were angry, they were fearful, they were sad when they saw the empty tomb. But when they encountered the risen Jesus, their lives were utterly transformed. Mary Magdalene was confused and consumed with fear. And then Jesus called her by name. And when she recognized who Jesus was, she fell at his feet and worshipped. When fear collides with intimacy... It leads to worship. And like Mary Magdalene, we are called out of ourselves and fall at the feet of the one who is greater than we are. Peter, this brash, impulsive character, Peter who, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, denied even knowing him, embarrassed to have the same accent as Jesus, said, what are you talking about? I don't, I don't even know that man. When Peter meets the risen Christ, he's given a new purpose. Jesus commissions him to care for his people. And Peter becomes one of the leaders and teachers of the early church. He becomes this solid, with the apostles' foundation on which the church was built that has nourished the faith of billions and billions of people. Utterly transformed. And then these two disciples we read about, Cleopas and the other whose name we don't even know, they're going home. They're running away from what they think is the failure of Jesus. What are they doing? They're doing what we do with entertainment. They're saying, we're going to distract ourselves from the awfulness of life. It's just so, eh. Let's just go home. And then they met the risen Jesus. And once they've recognized him, they say, didn't our hearts burn within us as he explains all of the things to us in the scriptures concerning himself? Hope was born in them. And then they turn around. It says that they were going to stop at this village because it was nightfall. And then they realize who Jesus is and they run seven miles back to Jerusalem because they are so, uh, they've been called out of just this, gosh, we failed. 
Their lives are transformed. They're called out of it. They're called from distraction and despondency, and they find new hope in person. Every, uh, every single person who meets the risen Jesus is utterly transformed. And so the question is, what about you? What about you? You've heard the words, but do you know what they mean? What would it look like for you to respond to Jesus this Easter? Or what would it look like for you to live, not just today, but tomorrow, like the tomb is still empty? What would it look like for you to live next week or next month like the tomb is still empty? Friends, for a Christian, Easter changes everything. The teaching of Jesus did not change the world. The death of Jesus on the cross did not change the world. It's the resurrection that changes everything. Because he has risen, you are forgiven. Because he has risen, your your past no longer defines you. Your sins no longer haunt you. You are forgiven. Because he has risen, you have meaning and purpose. You can go to work tomorrow morning and do good work because Jesus' resurrection gives your life meaning and purpose. Because Jesus has risen, you can apologize. You can a little bit more quickly tomorrow admit when you're wrong. You don't have to defend yourself because Jesus is your defender. And he is alive. You can be a friend. You can let your guard down. You don't have to risk being vulnerable. The resurrection changes everything. But has it chosen you? Changed you, rather. (laughs) In South Africa, when apartheid ended in 1991, many people thought that it would be an absolute bloodbath. But you know what prevented that from happening? The resurrection. The church of Jesus stepped in with the message that injustice will not have the final word. And so uh, through the leadership of Desmond Tutu, a Christian pastor, they established the Truth and Reconciliation Commission where it was said, if you come and you tell the truth about what you have done, you will receive amnesty for your crimes of hatred. And so um, hundreds or thousands came and confessed. And one day a police officer, a man named Vanderbrock, came. And he told the account of how he, as a police officer, had um, shot and then burned the body of a young man. And then how later he had come back and taken that young man's father and him, they did not do the courtesy of shooting him before they burned his body. And he confessed in a courtroom. And in that courtroom, the widow and bereaved mother sat and listened as this man confessed what he had done. And then it was her turn to respond. And she said, I will forgive you on three conditions. Number one, take me to the site where this happened so that I can 
gather some dirt and whatever ashes may be still there so that I can give my son and my husband a proper burial. And she said, secondly, I am not an old woman and I still have much maternal love to give and so I require you to come to my house twice a month where I will cook you dinner and we will eat together. And thirdly, because I believe Jesus has forgiven me and he is alive and he will forgive you if you ask him as a tangible expression of my forgiveness, I ask you to walk across this courtroom so I can hug you. And the police officer got up and made it halfway across the courtroom before he fainted. And everybody in the room began to sing, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I tell you that story to ask you this question, who are you in that story? See, many of us this morning are the police officer Maybe it's not, you know, the details are different. But there are things in our past that we fear to say out loud or even admit to ourselves. You're afraid to be honest about who you really are. And the resurrection means that Jesus is alive and you can be forgiven. God is not offering just to endure you, but to call you his own to welcome you into his family, to embrace you, to eat with you. And maybe you showed up at church this morning for some random reason. And I want to invite you to meet the risen Jesus. All you have to say is say, Jesus, I believe. In a moment or in the quietness of your own heart now, Jesus, I believe in you. But maybe you're here today and you've experienced God's forgiveness and he's calling you to forgive. Maybe you're like that woman. Jesus has forgiven you and he calls you to forgive others. It's hard. But Jesus is alive and he is with you. And by his spirit, you can do hard things. You can Because he is risen, you can let go of your anger. Because he is risen, you have hope. Jesus is alive. His spirit is with you. He loves you. And he calls you his own. Because Jesus is risen, the aroma of heaven is pushing back the stench of death and decay. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we call to you because you are alive. Jesus, we praise you because you conquered death. Jesus, would you help us to sing the words of the Easter song this morning? Not just because we've always sung them and we know the words by heart, 
but because we know what they mean. Because you have met us. Jesus, if there is anyone who is yet uh, to cry out to you, I pray that right now, in this moment of silence, you would enable us to simply say, Jesus, I believe. Would you meet me? Would you send us out into the world as people who have been changed because you are alive and Easter changes everything. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.